Hey, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the On Call Empath. In this episode, we're going to be talking about codependency, what is it, and how to get rid of it. If you have difficulty dealing with, you know, people or making decisions in relationships, always in a toxic relationship where you're kind of doing all the work, it's one way, and you just don't see any way out. This is definitely an episode you want to tune into. I know I've uh, talked to a lot of the empaths um, that listen to this podcast, and, you know, we're having problems with boundaries, you know, people-pleasing, but there has to be a time where we have to step back and ask, you know, why are we doing this? Why are we sacrificing ourselves to please somebody else? And then in the long run, what happens is we ended up actually hurting our own self and losing who we are in the process. So if you have had any um, bad experiences dealing with, you know, people pleasing, setting boundaries, or if you're in a abusive relationship where you're always doing the work and you feel trapped, this is definitely an episode you want to um, take a look at and listen to. And uh, again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. So with that said, let's get started. Okay, guys, we are back for another episode of the On Call Empath. I know you guys have been asking me about covering a topic with codependency, and what better way to do it by bringing in a therapist uh, to answer all these questions uh, with codependency, especially if you're having problems, difficulty making decisions in your relationships, identifying, you know, uh, feelings, communicating with other people. This is definitely an episode you want to uh, definitely tune into. My next guest is a therapist by the name of Olivia Peltz. She's the founder of Sunshine City Counseling Group Therapy out of St. Petersburg, uh, Florida. She's passionate about helping people clearly. And uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited <laughs> Absolutely. to talk about hard stuff, I guess. I don't know, but... Right. <laughs> well, you're you've been living all over the world, Ni- Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, pretty. How was that exactly for yeah, you? Yeah, it was a wild time. That's uh, to put it mildly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was my first year of marriage, and um, my husband had already been living over there for the year prior, and we were like, "This is terrible. Long distance dating sucks." So we got <laughs> married and uh, and hopped over there, and um, yeah, it's actually where I did my my clinical internship for counseling, and so I kind of uh, cut my mm-hmm. teeth on some really hard situations, but where I kind of fell in love with the work of of trauma and working with relationships and um, and keeping people healthy and on the field, whether they're a missionary or an NGO worker or or whatever kind mm-hmm. of their capacity was. But yeah, I mean, it was it almost feels like a very much a different life. <laughs> um, just Absolutely. when I think back, I'm like, oh yeah, we've been gone, I guess, for like almost 10 years. <laughs> but like, I did that, like that wasn't just in my mind. But yeah, it was a pretty wild experience, but one that I'm immensely grateful for. So let's just dig in here, like with codependency. But before I start, um, I just want to let all the listeners know, obviously, this episode of the podcast, you know, doesn't constitute for any type of medical advice. Uh, It's only for entertainment purposes. So definitely see a qualified physician or therapist in your area if you're going through any uh, mental health issues. So but with 
with codependency, I guess we could start with what is it and basically how does it even start? Because in my yeah. head, I'm thinking, okay, it, it comes from, you know, a being in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean... I think a lot of us think when we think of codependency, we often think of addicts. At least in my line of work, is is where a lot of people are like, well, I'm I'm not an alcoholic, or I'm not coming <laughs> from that family system, you know. And so I, I know, like historically, Melody Beattie's work uh, really kind of was a seminal work around codependency, um, and that was kind of out of this kind of understanding of addiction. And um, particularly around um, alcoholics and, and alcoholic families. And so I think uh, there's a lot of um, just misunderstanding when it comes to that because codependency affects everyone, you know, uh, regardless of you come from an addiction background or not. If you're a human being inside of relationships, there is a likelihood of you at some point or someone that you know struggling with codependency. It is far more pervasive than I think most of us probably want to give it credit for. But um, in a nutshell, codependency is this over enmeshment, kind of losing yourself inside of someone. Uh, and so I kind of talk about it. It's the sense of <clears throat> a strong indication that one might be kind of codependent. It's like, uh, you know, someone, whether it's your partner or best friend or or someone that you're really close with has a really bad day. It totally, it's as if you had a bad day. Like mm-hmm. there is no separation between you and this other person. There's no where I end and where this other person begins. We're kind of this one uh, kind of unit. Uh, and so codependency is something that is an unhealthy form of relationships. And often uh, it's really rooted um, ultimately in attachment. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we could talk a lot about <clears throat> what that is, but essentially attachment is the ways in which that we relate to other people. And so our parents, um, for better or for worse, are the ones who taught us how to relate to other human beings. They were like the mm-hmm. first ones on the line that were like, hey, this is, this is how that works, you know, through direct things and also through a mm-hmm. lot of indirect ways. Um, and there's different types of attachment styles, right? You have the insecure or anxious kind of attachment style. You have avoidant attachment style. You mm-hmm. have safe or secure attachment style, which is, of course, what we're all hoping and striving for. Uh, right. And then we have the disorganized attachment style. And so depending on where you kind of fall within that, um, can really kind of indicate um, some codependent patterns. Um, but a lot of what I see when I work, because I work a lot with people who struggle with codependency, they don't come in to work with me because they're like, Olivia, I'm a codependent. I need help. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, they don't like show up and they're like, oh, this is what it is. I mean, sure, sometimes, but most of the time it's, I'm caught in this dynamic of this push-pull in relationships and I can't seem to get out of the cycle. You know, that's one kind of form of what could become kind of codependency or like the inability to think for yourself or the inability to even know what you want or need. Um, And so I find, and that was certainly my kind of story too. I, you know, I, when I first kind of started in my own journey in college and and going to therapy, no way would I've ever said like, oh, definitely struggle with that. Like, I didn't even know what that word was, Um, you know, back when I was like 18 or 19, but through therapy realizing, oh, wow. I, I really do have these tendencies because I wrap them up and that's just what a best friend does. Mm-hmm. Really, you know, a lack of boundaries and a lack of an awareness of knowing really who I am um, at the core of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it can be complex because, I mean, I can't just walk into a therapist's office and say, you know, I, 
I'm a codependent. I mean, you would have to have some sort of background. And I mean, I know yourself, I mean, you've been through quite a bit yourself. And I don't know if, did you experience like codependency firsthand? Is that how you kind of got introduced to it uh, and specialized in it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, kind of a big joke is uh, in the therapy world is that a lot of therapists get into (laughs) therapy because um, of ways in which that we're still trying to heal ourselves, right? Mm. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I I fell into a codependent relationship early on in college, my my freshman year with someone who she had a lot of stuff kind of going on with herself. um, But it really was this, um, the dynamic was this kind of I need rescuing and saving and I don't really want to feel my feelings uh, was what kind of she was presenting with. And I was someone who was like, oh, I can be a really good friend because I had really struggled with developing female relationships um, uh, through middle school and high school. And so I was like presented with this opportunity of becoming really good friends with this girl. And I was like, oh, that, okay. So being a best friend must mean that I I have to always say yes. And like, okay, I want to, because I care about her. And like, I have no sense of personal regard. Like maybe I, maybe I don't want to do that at midnight, you know, or maybe I don't want to go and do that thing. And, and really this like toxic kind of push and pull, um, relationship. And I knew that something was a mess, didn't really know what, and, uh, you know, and she attempted suicide. Thankfully she was not successful, but was asked to leave school to go seek help. And, uh, and I would go and see her like every single weekend, um, throughout that, that next semester. And it became almost this, like I, this, this pool, like I have to go see her, you know, like I can't not see her. It's almost like that is the one person who gives me significance, which is always an indication of unhealth regardless. Right. Um, and so that relationship, uh, and getting into therapy and really discovering like, oh, wow, like these patterns, right, that really were kind of rooted in a lot of my family systems, at least in my perception of those things, right, and and the outworkings of those in my life later on and realizing that I have this pull towards wanting to uh, quell my own personal regard or my own personal feelings, desires, wants, and needs, and to elevate that of someone else because there's ultimately like this, this belief uh, for me that I am not good enough unless I do X or unless I perform this way. Um, and so that was kind of my, my journey with that and, and, uh, and going into a lot of therapy and, and not ever wanting to be a therapist. And yet here we are, but. (laughs) And this is the reason why I wanted to do this, you know, whole codependency is because a lot of the people that tune in are empaths or highly sensitive people. And yeah, most of us have, poor boundary settings or uh, people pleasing, meaning like whether it's our employers or, um, you know, someone that we're dating or, or, or even someone we're married to. My question to you is, how do you figure out that somebody is in unhealthy relationships? What are some of the signs that I can be like, oh, okay, then this might be an unhealthy, toxic relationship or, a co- you know, I'm a codependent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, you know, first and foremost, one of the first things that, that comes to my mind is when um, you can't really state your own personal, perhaps mm-hmm. thoughts, needs, or wants outside of that other person. Mm. Uh, if you lack uh, friendships outside of that one singular relationship um, is also another indication of like, huh, 
well, that's interesting. You know, like I think culturally there's a lot going on with this kind of sense, <clears throat> particularly in romantic relationships of like, ah, oh, he or she, uh, they complete me. Mm. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> I live God, for them. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, we see this a lot with parents and their kids, right? Where, you know, the term like a helicopter parent and we're like, oh, that, that mom is just living vicariously through a child. It's like, oh God, you know? Um, but I think that that, those are some really big ones. Um, and you know, if there's a sense of like, can't, you know, it gets, I suppose, even more toxic when you can't physically be away from that person. Like, um, if they leave the home to go to the grocery store and you're at home, you're like, ah, you know, <laughs> that you constantly need to have like a, a, a direct line of communication going at all times. Yeah. Because I of that that. Insecurity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Would that be sort of like a, like a trauma bond? Um, could, could you be. consider yeah. that as a trauma bond? Depending on the circumstances surrounding that, it certainly could be, um, for sure. But, um, but it really, I would be more curious about, well, well, what happens if you lose connection with that person? Mm-hmm. Like I was talking with someone the other day and they were like, well, I need to, <clears throat> I need to be, I, I want that person to check in with me throughout the day. I'm like, okay, cool. So that that's fine. But like, what happens if they don't, oh, like gosh. what happens if, if they forget? Or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's like, uh, it's, I'm not well. I'm like, Oh, that's what we should talk about. <laughs> um, why are you not able to self soothe yourself? Right. Because we see in like little kids, I have a two, almost a two and a half year old. And so this is a very like prominent for me right now. I'm like, yeah. Um, but kids, learn or they don't uh to self-soothe how do they get their specific needs met for themselves and then how do they learn how to ask mom dad or another caregiver to help them soothe themselves in whatever capacity co-regulation right and we see adults that lack the ability to do that almost always they they didn't learn that as a little kid and so really this 30 40 year old person uh, is really like a 10 year old, you know, emotionally, it's like the chronological age and the emotional age don't always line up. It's like, you know, we see some like grown men or, or grown women. We're like, God, oh, they act like such little kids right. or, there's something uh, you know, <laughs> absolutely. It's like, well, their chronological age is probably not matching their emotional age. And, um, you know, the truth hurts, but that's a lot of times what we kind of see. But again, so the signs of those types of things of that insecurity are like, I have to always be connected. It's like, well, but okay, but why? And being curious. That's what I tell my clients all the time. I'm like, if anything, if you walk away from having any kind of conversations with a therapist, the one thing I would hope that you would walk away with would be just to be curious about maybe why you're thinking that, why you did that, why you're doing that uh, behavior. Um, but just to be curious because that will help kind of breathe Open some insight and awareness. Yeah, totally. Okay. So, which kind of leads me to ask you, you know, let's say you say, okay, I I have it. You know, how Mm -hmm. do you, how do you get rid of it? I know there's like 12 step programs, there's different, you know, you can go to a therapist, but once Mm -hmm. you identify it and, um, even if like, let's say someone is a codependent, we just take them out of that abusive environment and we plop Mm -hmm. them on the other side of the globe. Are they Mm going to be able to survive on their own without, constantly having that stimulus of trying to contact that person who, you know, they can't live without. Yeah. I mean, patterns are patterns, you know, like I was telling someone the other day, I was like, Hey, if this person doesn't continue to, you know, date you, let's say, um, and they go and date someone else, I can guarantee you 
that the way that they are treating you is also the way they're going to treat someone else unless they decide to do something different. Because patterns are really hard to change unless you bring awareness to them. And so it's like, can you cure codependency? Mm-hmm. I don't know if, if, if you can definitively say that. I think that, that, you know, there are ways in which that we have each been habituated and, um, you know, kind of accustomed to. And so we create kind of these like deep ridges, right, in our brains, the synapses that have been created. It's like these little train tracks or these like little roads. In order for me to do something different, I have to be very intentional and have pretty strong safeguards, boundaries to do something different. And it doesn't mean that in me changing my behavior that I'm never going to struggle with that again. It's kind of like addiction, right? Um, and, And codependency a lot of times is referred to as like a relationship addiction. In many ways, that is true. So it's not like you can cure it, but I can change my behavior and grow towards health for myself. But all the while being cognizant of the fact that when stress or anxiety is induced or I'm kind of put under pressure or, I don't know, a pandemic uh, happens, I'm going to be more prone to going to what feels comfortable and is my quote unquote default. You know, so I always say like, I am someone in recovery, right? Like I am, I'm a codependent in recovery. I'm never going to be cured. But what does it look like for me as Olivia to pursue health in um, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically, and all of these kind of different areas. Um, does that help? Does that kind of answer your question? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you definitely seem to know a lot about this topic and, you know, obviously, you know, if, if you go to like just any therapist, some, some therapists, um, they have different specialties. Um, some, you know, are, you know, anxiety or they really focus on PTSD and all this. Can anybody like work with somebody with codependency or do they have to come to someone like you who actually really understands it and not by understanding you've been through it? Yeah, I think a lot of therapists um, can kind of uh, tango with uh, with a lot of the dynamics around codependency. Uh, what I would say would be if it is something that is kind of um, like the number one thing that you really will kind of want to work on or relationships. So again, people usually don't come to me because they're like, oh, I'm codependent. They, they usually come to know. me because they're like, <laughs> no, they're like, hey, I, I, I want significance and meaning in my relationships and I don't feel like I'm getting that. And I also want to have more intimacy in my relationships, not just sexually, but just intimacy, like healthy intimacy in relationships. That's what a lot of people come to me for. They're like, you know, the byproducts of those or anxiety, depression, whatever. But in general, a lot of therapists can definitely tango with that. What I would say you want to look for is someone who is versed in attachment um, and, you know, kind of the relational kind of dynamics around codependency. A really great book. um, One of my favorites actually is PM Melody called Facing Codependency. It is a stout book. It is thick. I actually did. Oh, my gosh. So many years ago. it's kind of embarrassing now, but I did a five-part video series on that book and I kind of break down the five pillars of codependency. And so if you want to look that up, you can go into Sunshine City Counseling's YouTube channel in the in the way, way, way back um, and see that. But that book is a great kind of starter um, to be ingested very slowly because it's a lot. Pia is incredible, um, but that would be kind of a good, a good start. Good start. Point. Okay. So I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. Um, Perfect. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a scenario, and you being the expert, you tell me if you know what, what's going on here. So do you think that if can two codependency 
people be in a relationship. And as far as like, let's say the sex life, intimacy, mm-hmm. is that going to be different and it's going to be un- unhealthy because they're both trying to please each other? Or how does that dynamic work and is it a recipe for disaster? It could go either way. Um, <laughs> I have seen I've seen it work uh, in both sides, you know. Uh, I think when there is a recognition of, hey, this is actually my struggle and hey, I I do really struggle with knowing my wants and needs and how to ask for them and the other party knows that, then it's like, well, how can that other partner move towards you and vice versa? Um, you know, I think there's something really beautiful about when we are in romantic relationships or even, you know, just best friend relationships, how we can help redeem other parts of someone else's um, struggle or humanity. You know, I say this all the time about kids is like kids in so many ways, you know, are the parents redemption. Mm -hmm. And so I think our partners can be as well when we're both pursuing health and what that looks like for each of us individually and being very honest. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the worst case would be, yeah, you get two codependents together and um, neither one acknowledges that they're codependent and they're just like, this is just what it is, you know, and um, it's going to implode at some given point in time where one of them will explode. But most of the time it's just an implosion because they can't actually express their anger uh, until it consumes them, you know, or the other person. And so I think when both individuals are pursuing health and are honest and have people around them too. I think it's important, like dating on an Island, no good. <laughs> Being married on an Island, also no good, right? Like no more TV shows. I, oh my gosh. Now, nah, right. No like bachelor. Jonathan and I have a, yeah. Jonathan and I have like a community around us. Like he has his dudes who ask him hard questions about him. And I've got lady friends who do the same for me. And we also, as a couple, have couples around us who can show up for us just as much as we're showing up for them. And I think that's the beautiful thing. It's like, you know, we, Brene Brown says this too, that we are hardwired for intimacy and connection and belonging. And so that that cannot be found in one person. It is a crushing weight to put all of that on one person. And so it's really the the marriage or the significant other relationship that one person that you're committed to does get you in a different way, of course, than anyone else, but they can't be the only one who gets you. Mm -hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can't even have like one person who's working on health and the other one has no idea that, that, that probably won't work either. It would have yeah, to be be t- it's going to be tough. Yeah, because the other person is going to probably feel really invisible mm-hmm. and, you know, growing in their own acknowledgement of stuff and being able to ask for what they need from their partner. Their other partner's like, oh, just taking it personally and then making them the victim and then, oh, but you're the worst. And you're right. So, yeah, um, that would, I would think, be <laughs> pretty tricky for sure. Right. So I know, like, the empaths and highly sensitive people, one of the number one things that, uh, I mean, that they have challenges dealing with is setting boundaries. And I know when it comes Mm -hmm. to codependency, it's a it's a pretty big piece of the puzzle. Can you tell us um, why boundaries, why do they even matter, especially in in this uh, context? Yeah, boundaries, boundaries are really, really important. And gosh, they really kind of suck sometimes, too. They're so hard. Um, Boundaries are important uh, because it helps me to know where I end and someone else begins. We want to achieve, we want to work towards interdependency mm-hmm. where we, there's an equal amount of leaning on someone else or at times, you know, 
like when a death happens or something, you know, if someone gets sick or something like that, you have to lean on your partner maybe a little bit more. But there are specific boundaries around how I show up for that other person, how they can show up for me, what is allowed. There's physical boundaries, of course. You know, I mean, most of the time, uh, we don't have to actually verbalize our boundaries <clears throat> to most people because people know it's really inappropriate to walk up to someone and just to grope them, you know, or <laughs> it's really inappropriate to walk up to someone and just make out with them. Those types of things seem very obvious, but that's a type of boundary. Emotional boundaries are tricky because they're invisible. Um, but boundaries, I think when people hear that word, they think it's restrictive, mm-hmm. but it's meant to provide more joy and freedom for both parties, right? Like, if you see a kid who has zero boundaries and zero ground rules for how they can function in the house, th- they're wild and they're insane. And kids, like they crave structure. They crave predictability and boundaries. And so when you can provide that, is that parent being terrible? Well, no. She, that parent is saying, hey, it is not appropriate to jump on the couch or to jump mm-hmm. on this glass thing. I am protecting you because it's going to keep you safe. But here's what you can do. and so. Boundaries, I think a lot of times can feel like, well, I can't do this. And it's like, well, you, that's one way of looking at it. But the boundaries themselves aren't meant to be this restrictive kind of thing. It's meant to provide more freedom for both people to show up more fully as themselves. I mean, I, I went through this a couple years ago with um, my best friend who we ended up having a, um, a pretty major um, like f- best friend breakup, which I'm kind of convinced that friend breakups are almost worse than romantic breakups because there's no like rules and like regulations (laughs) around them, right? They're just, they're terrible. But a lot of it came down to um, she did not know how to communicate what she needed and her boundaries. And that also created a type of anxiety strongly for me of not knowing how I could show up and like what is expected of me. And then inevitably I didn't know. And so I would do anything and I would cross a boundary that I didn't even know existed, right? It's like I walked on a landmine. And so it's it creates this like it can create this type of insecurity of like I'm walking on eggshells. Like, oh. but I always say clear is kind. The more clear you can be, the kinder that that is, even if it feels like it's harsh. It's like, you know, don't be a, a jerk about it, obviously, but you clearly communicating what you need, how you need it, then puts the power for the other person to say, hey, I can't do that. Or, hey, I can do that. And I'm happy to show up for you in that way. Or I'm happy to move towards you in that way. Um, but boundaries are so powerful and so helpful. Um, they're really hard. Yeah. Well, again, which is why <laughs> like you need people also to, <laughs> yeah, it's practice. It's like, oh, Olivia, you're so good at boundaries. It's like, yeah, sometimes also sometimes not. I'm terrible at them. And I have to check myself before I wreck myself. I'm like, hey, I've been hanging out with you at like a lot, like I need to put up a boundary, you know, and I did this this, <clears throat> this year around like, I only want to be away from my home working one night a week. So how can I move my schedule around? So that way I'm at home more with my kiddo and my husband so I can put him to bed, you know, not my husband, but my kid. Um, and, uh, and so that was a boundary that I had to, to implement, which has been hard. Cause when I look at my calendar, it's like, someone wants to hang out with me. I'm like, well, I'm, I'm only you know, a boundary for me is that I I will go out with a friend like one time during the week. I'm not going to be gone every single night, you know. So if I'm gone for one night with a friend and one night for work, I need to be home the rest of the nights. And so that means that I have to say no to someone, um, which is hard. And I think a lot of us as empaths and, and healers and 
and highly sensitive people, we have a hard time giving ourselves permission to choose ourselves. And um, yeah, I think it's so tough. Yeah. In a, in a job capacity, I mean, that could, that could end up in, you know, maybe uh, uh, getting fired or even a promotion mm-hmm. if you don't want to work a little extra or, um, you know, just anything that you, you put a small boundary and it could be looked at as like, oh, Janice is, you know, she's hard to work with, you know, or they'll label, label you as being difficult or not a team player. And so, so that's, that's what builds up to with codependent people. And then they're like, okay, maybe I shouldn't do, you know, I shouldn't do the boundaries because it's going to affect me moving up the ladder or making friends. And that's just not the case. I mean, that's, I, I feel like, I mean, that's the mode that I was in when, when I was uh, growing up with, with all these employers and making new friends. But I flipped the script once I started to figure out the value and, and how powerful boundaries can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if someone's not respecting them, then it's like, well, that's a really good litmus test for someone who's probably very toxic and potentially emotionally abusive um, yeah. in your life. And how then it's a matter of being curious around, well, why did I enable that? Why did mm-hmm. I allow that? What is what is within me that was served in some capacity by that? You know, um, yeah, it's it's tricky business, that is for sure. <laughs> Olivia, I just before we wrap up here, I just want to give you the last word. If somebody's listening uh, out there that you know identifies as being codependent, what would you say would be the first step that they could make? Right when they get off this podcast, uh, would it would you recommend for them to do just to start to get the ball rolling? Yeah, I mean, I mean, of course, the first thing that comes to my mind is um, find a professional. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> you don't have to do this alone, and um, you don't you don't need to unless you want to. And um, in terms of resources, you know, I love um, pointing my clients to. Um, if you type in Diane Poole Heller, and I'll send you the link to this as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and type in attachment quiz. She's got a free attachment quiz that will be really helpful for you and even understanding like how you relate to people. Oh, I'm more anxious or more avoidant or, or whatever. Uh, you might already have a sense of that, but I find that to be kind of a helpful place. And then Pia's book, Pia Melody's book on facing codependency is awesome. Um, but beyond that, it's, you know, taking maybe some time and kind of like an inventory of relationships that feel really draining to you or feel like I have to have them that I would be not okay if they went away. And it's like, well, why would you not be okay? And, uh, and asking some yourself some really hard questions. And, and for most of us, we know what questions we probably should be asking. We just don't want to. And you have that sense in your tummy. You're like, Oh, you know, <laughs> um, and you're like, Oh, Olivia, this is stupid. Well, you know, it's like, cool, that's fine. You're not ready. You know? But, um, I think for those of us who have a sense of that something is wrong, you know, or something is broken within me, it's, it's really reminding yourself that, um, that this is not going to last for forever unless you want it to. And that a lot of times we give our power away to other people. And so in an effort, we stay small so that other people can get big. Um, Mm -hmm. And and really questioning that of like, man, I have allowed myself to live in this like two by two space because I thought that's what I deserved. And it's like, no, like any relationship that causes you to shrink so that they have to be big is Mm. abusive and toxic. And like, you do not deserve that. So, um, and so to get the help that you need, whether that's in, you know, asking a friend or finding a professional or, or whatever that might look like. 
There you have it. Thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. And, you know, you're always welcome back. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. It was good chatting with you. Absolutely. And before we leave, can you just give a shout out where we we can find you on on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So um, my handle is Olivia Peltz on Instagram. Uh, Sunshine City is the Sunshine City on Instagram. Mm -hmm. If you want to connect with us, um, sunshinecitycounseling.com. We've got therapists who work with clients in Florida, Maine, Georgia, and New Jersey. And we also provide um, coaching across um, the U.S. And I also do coaching internationally too. So um, but those are kind of the, the main places. We have a podcast as well um, through Sunshine City called A Safe Place to Land. And so we do all kinds of stuff on there. It's, it's a good time for sure. But on any of those kind of mediums, um, definitely you know link up with us and holler at us. And if we can be helpful, even if it's not in working with us, pointing you to someone. We've got buddies all over the U.S. Um, who are great great therapist and coaches that we would love to connect you with as well, then we'll do it. Awesome. Check her out guys. So thanks again. And uh, guys, stay tuned for the next episode. Also share this episode with anybody uh, that you, that might help. Um, And then also if you can please rate and let me know how I'm doing on Apple iTunes, it definitely helps me out and keeps bringing more guests from around the world. So remember you guys are never alone. With that said, we are out. You're listening to the on call and pat.